Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The city is gearing up to renegotiate contracts with the four unions representing its employees. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it went behind closed doors with legal counsel for a little over an hour to discuss the city's strategy for the upcoming negotiations. Most city employees are represented by one of four unions, the Public Safety Employees Association, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the International Association of Firefighters, and the Alaska State Employees Association. The Assembly stayed mostly mum on what was discussed in executive session. Contract negotiations will be spread over the spring and summer of 2022. While it's too soon to tell what changes could come down the pike for union employees, the Assembly did move to change a policy that affects all employees when it voted to replace the city's personnel handbook. City Administrator John Leach said the handbook hasn't seen any major changes since 2014. The Human Resources Department has been updating the document in part due to high turnover at City Hall. The list of changes includes everything from adding Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a city holiday to lining up travel per diem with federal rates. The Assembly approved the personnel handbook changes 6-0 on first reading. We'll have more coverage of last night's Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. Two new coronavirus cases were reported in Sitka on Monday, according to data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. But even with the new cases, Sitka's coronavirus alert level was downgraded to substantial today, following a drop in the weekly case count. The community's COVID alert level has fluctuated quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. Eight new coronavirus cases have been reported in the last week. Sitka's alert level could be downgraded to moderate if that number drops below five. If the number rises above nine, the community alert level will increase to high again. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 1,228 COVID cases, 24 hospitalizations, and five deaths. As Sitka's deadliest bear season in recent memory winds down, the Department of Fish and Game is stepping up outreach to try and prevent a repeat of 2021 when 14 brown bears were killed in the community. ADF&G biologist Steve Bethune last week delivered an hour-long presentation on how Sitkins can live with bears. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Steve Bethune is trained in biology. He thought that meant spending a lot of time outdoors with wildlife. There is some of that, but he also spends a lot of time on a computer and on a phone talking to concerned humans. I deal with some real extreme attitudes about bears here in town. There's kind of a uh, a kill them all crowd, and there's the they were here first crowd. Bethune spoke to an in-person and online audience in Sitka's Harrigan Centennial Hall. Just as he can't kill every bear that enters town, Bethune said he must kill some as they present a legitimate threat to public safety. He doesn't use the term problem bear because he believes bears aren't the problem. Because they're just bears being bears. It's actually people that are the problem. And they're, you know, these bears are using all the intelligence that they've been created with, all the resources they have to do the best they can with whatever, however they can, just to survive. Bethune said that bears come into contact with humans because we provide them with a limitless supply of high-calorie food. 
A domestic chicken has about as many calories as a salmon. A greasy pizza box is also rich in calories. Even with 14 bears removed so far this year, he said the calls keep rolling in. The exact number of bears in Sitka remains the million-dollar question because their sense of smell is legendary, 10 times better than a bloodhound's, 2,500 times better than ours, and they are extremely mobile. Today's Sitka bear might have been nowhere near yesterday. And we know from radio caller data that they're excellent swimmers. Even here in town, we know that bears are using all the little islands, bears on Middle Island, Kaziana, Apple Island. We've had bears over on uh, on Japonski. I'm pretty sure they're not walking across the bridge, so they got to get there somewhere. This mobility is why relocating bears isn't feasible. Many of the complaints Bethune receives involve his decision to kill a bear rather than trap it, dart it, and move it to a far-off island. Short answer, it doesn't work. Bears have a tremendous homing instinct. And over and over and over, our radio caller data shows these bears covering tremendous distances, large bodies of water, to get back to where where they move from. Although this has been the worst year for urban bear mortality in Sitka in the last 30 years, Bethune believes an answer has emerged recently that can help enormously, inexpensive electric fence kits. He said the department has purchased several at less than $300 that can be loaned to residents while they work on permanent solutions at their homes. Bethune told the audience a quote from a fellow biologist that what most people know about bears has more to do with the nature of bear stories than with the nature of bears. He added that with bears, we often see what we believe. He said the only effective way to eliminate bears from Sitka was to eliminate the reason they come here. It's unsecured garbage that's the problem. When I, to move a bear is treating the symptoms, not treating the, the root cause. As for when bears will finally head into their dens for the winter and allow Sitkins to have some peace, not to mention their national park trails, Bethune said there wasn't a precise date. Some sows with cubs might den up in October. For other bears, he said, Thanksgiving is kind of a general standard. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Biologist Bethune covered many other bear-related topics in his presentation, like cleaning trash cans, dogs and bears, and defense of life or property shooting of bears. You can find a link to his full program on our website at kcaw.org. The Biden administration on Tuesday formally began the process of restoring roadless protections to millions of acres of southeast Alaska's federal forest lands. It opened up a 60-day comment period to undo action taken by the Trump administration that critics say could lead to more old-growth logging in Tongass National Forest. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports. A notice in the Federal Register published Tuesday says southeast Alaska's timber industry is shrinking. Tongass National Forest-related logging and sawmilling sectors fell from just shy of 200 jobs in the early 2000s to around 60 workers in 2018. The U.S. Department of Agriculture argues restoring the 2001 roadless rule reflects the Biden administration's priorities to build on the region's tourism and fishing sectors. The U.S. Forest Service has already frozen old-growth timber sales under the current administration. Trout Unlimited's Austin Williams says Alaska Governor Bill Walker's 2018 petition to exempt the Tongass National Forest from roadless protections put too much emphasis on commercial logging. You know, it's really time that we just move past that and we recognize that there's more value on the forest 
keeping it and conserving it so that we can have fish and wildlife, so that we can have tourism, so that we can have cultural and traditional uses, and to help fight climate change. The roadless rule would apply to about 9 million acres of the Tongass. But in practical terms, it could protect at most about 168,000 acres of old-growth forest from clear-cut. Governor Mike Dunleavy and Alaska's congressional delegation strongly supported the Trump administration's exemption of roadless. Randy Rowe, the governor's chief of staff, recently said bringing back the rule is part of a larger pattern of federal overreach. And we think that discretion for the, for the forest to be managed should continue to be at the local level. We don't need Washington, D.C. with a one-size-fits-all rule uh, for every forest in the nation. A lawsuit by the state to block the Biden administration's moves to bring back roadless on the Tongass was dismissed last week by a federal appeals court. And a separate lawsuit by a coalition of tribes and ecological groups in favor of roadless protections remains pending, but could be rendered moot by the new change in direction. Tuesday's action opens up a two-month comment period required to bring back roadless, but even if that eventually happens, barring an act of Congress, it could be reversed again by a future administration. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Alaska is proposing to get rid of tuberculosis screening in schools. Critics question the plan since Alaska regularly tops the list of states with the most cases of the disease. But as Claire Strempel reports for KTOO, the state health department says the school screening program hasn't turned up a single case in years. In early November, the state posted a proposal to end universal tuberculosis screening in schools. The plan generated blowback online after Scott Kendall, an outspoken critic of Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration, tweeted about it. His tweet included the fact that Alaska has the highest rate of TB in the nation. Kendall's tweet is true, but there's more to the story. The state considered axing the program as early as 2016, during the Walker administration. State data said other methods of fighting the disease are more effective. As early as 2013, the state stopped requiring universal screening at schools in low-risk areas for TB. And in 2019, the state suspended the program statewide. Now, the state is seeking to take the program off the books altogether and make that suspension permanent. The state's health department refused an interview, but state epidemiologist Dr. Michelle Rothoff answered some questions via email. She wrote that between 2014 and 2019, the state didn't find any cases of TB in school screening, even though it tested more than 10,000 students per year. State data from 2019 shows that cases of TB in kids under 14 accounted for less than 15% of cases statewide. There were 58 cases of tuberculosis recorded in Alaska last year, according to Dr. Rothoff's email. She did not say how many of those cases were among children. Alaskans can still comment on the proposal. The deadline is December